Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Florian B., Dave V., and Jared W. We've got Alex Black returning to the show. Alex is president, CEO, and director of Rio2 Limited, a Chile-focused project developer advancing the Phoenix Gold Project in the Atacama region. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol RIO and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol RIOFF. Alex, welcome back to the show. Andrew, thanks for inviting me back. Good to be back. Lots has changed since I last spoke to you. <laughs> well, Alex, uh, how was life in Lima and is there any protests out your front door? <laughs> no, actually, I, I, I keep telling people Peru is the best country in, in South America to do business in the mining industry. A lot of people look at me funny when I say that, but um, I'm, I'm very serious about that. And when you look at Peru in comparison to some of the other countries that have had some issues lately, um, not necessarily from a mining perspective, but more from a you know government administrative perspective, it's been really interesting. And, and here in Peru, even though we've had our challenges, um, there's been a big clean out of corruption uh, related to the Odebrecht scandal, which has been uh, prevalent in, in, in South America for, for a number of years. And also just a general clean out. So there's a lot of high ranking government officials, ex-presidents, et cetera, that, have, that are either being pursued or in jail, uh, you know, awaiting trial. So that's a good example of how Peru is sorting out its issues. And then, you know, you have the odd skirmish as we saw with Tia Maria, the copper project, the Southern Peru copper is trying to get going uh, down, down near Arequipa. That, very simply for anybody who's concerned, because I've had some people say, well, Peru's just as bad as every every other South American country. And I say, no, it's not. And in the case of Tia Maria, that's clearly an issue between the company, Southern Peru Copper, and the local people. Because here in Peru, you can get a construction permit, you can get your EIA approved, all those sorts of things, which are, which are government approved processes. But all of those are contingent on you having social license. And the government cannot give you social license. Social license is gained by the company having very good relationship and dialogue with the community. And that's what's fallen apart at Tia Maria. Southern Peru Copper have had this problem for nearly 10 years now since um, they've been advancing Tia Maria and uh, they've not managed the social situation well. And that's why the project's held up. No other reason, it's not because the government doesn't want, is not pro-mining or anything like that. It's simply because of Southern Peru's weakness in dealing with locals, full stop. Now, some people say to me, well, but Southern Peru Copper is a big company. Well, there's a lot of big companies in Peru that have made significant mistakes when it comes down to social aspects of their projects and gaining social license. So just because you're a big company doesn't mean you can steamroll your project forward. You have to get to the bare basics and, and work hard at the social level gain the confidence of the locals, be able to explain the impact of what you're going to do with your mine, how that relates uh, to what they're doing around the mine and demonstrate the sustainability of, of life in the area after the mine's closed. That's critical. So, sorry, I, I rambled on there, but um, I just wanted to clarify that. I appreciate you bringing that up. And I know one of the other, uh, what was it, one of the governors, uh, the Puno region governor, I can't remember his last name, but Walter is his first name there. I, whatever happened to him, do you know any updates on that? You know, because I'm not doing business in Puno, I'm not following it very closely. I thought he might have been um, put in prison for some reason. But anyway, look, it's it's the same thing. You know, you're not, a, I mean, okay, the governor, governor's got, you know, quite a lot of power. But at the end of the day, you've got to work at the ground level. Get your buy-in at the ground level, which means, you know, the people that surround your project, the people that are in within areas of influence of your project and try and get the buy-in. Sometimes it's very difficult, but 
as long as you don't make mistakes and as long as you're empathetic and you listen and you, and you communicate, you'll eventually get there. Right. Well, let's expand on this a little bit. So your buddy, Mr. Morales in Bolivia has thrown in the towel. Positive yeah. or negative implications for the mining business there? Again, I'm not an expert on Bolivia. I'm hearing that it might be positive. There's nothing or nobody obvious to to, to walk into his shoes. Um, you know, I guess they got to go through a fresh round of elections. Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing positive things, but time will tell. We can't um, can't just assume that. Yeah, absolutely. No, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, sometimes the ones that you're comfortable with are often better than the the new ones you get, and that's. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's 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 a good that's a good point, and uh, right. You know, so yeah, you just have to wait. It's the same as what's going on in Chile. Obviously, you're probably going to ask me about Chile. You know, I, I think you know it's too early to call what what's going to happen in Chile, but um, let's see. Again, it's not to the level that people need to put it in perspective. It's not to the level of what a Venezuela could be, and it certainly, in my view, so far no. has not become to what, even though it's been miscovered to some degree. Uh, certainly not a Hong Kong, uh, certainly not uh, what happened in Nicaragua in 2018, uh, certainly not that level. And, and same thing in Ecuador, it certainly is not to the extent that uh, some of these other places are having way more challenges. So I think yeah. I think things will, will settle down and cool heads will prevail in some of these countries, probably not all of them, but uh, yeah, certainly you, Chile. You know, what, yeah. yeah, what you're seeing in Chile, I mean, if you watch the telecasts of, uh, you know, some of the street battles, et cetera, all you see is university students. Right, you don't see anybody there over 25, more or less. When the mums and dads get involved, they have peaceful marches, typically on a weekend, lots of people, peaceful, right? Um, but when you see these um, university militants throwing Molotov cocktails, wearing masks, burning infrastructure, looting, all that sort of thing, I mean, that's a militant action. That's not, that's, and, and there's no leader, right? It's not as though there's somebody trying to overthrow Pinera. It's like, it's just a group of people. It's just a group of militants and they've infiltrated the universities and um, they've been able to cause mayhem and make demands that I'm not sure, you know, where, where, where it's going to lead to. The latest I saw was the government was talking about making some modifications to the constitution to help um, allay these fears, although the process of modifying constitution typically takes about two years. So right. it's not a quick fix. But there's no leader. There's no other person saying, well, I want to be president of this country or heading up this militant group. So there's not one person there that, that's doing it uh, or, or heading it up. And so you know, there's all sorts of rumours about who could be behind the militancy. But obviously, they were looking for an opportunity. They're well-funded and uh, looking for an opportunity. And when the government decided to raise the cost of uh, public transport, that was the trigger that these militants used to cause mayhem and they've been successful. There is no doubt that Chile has been the shining star of Latin America or South America over the last 20 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially a first world country. It has all the challenges of a, of a first world country. There are, there are the haves and the have nots. There is disparity. You know, we've seen the same in the US. You know, when you look at the minimum wage in the US and you look at, you know, what, you know, the top 10% earn, I mean, there's a big disparity there, but it's, it's not, you know, the US hasn't broken into militancy or anarchy like what's happened in, in Chile. Much smaller country, much easier to do. So it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people have asked me, so what's going to happen? What's the impact of it all? And I just say it's too early to, too early to tell. It's too early to call because there is no leader on the other side making demands. So, it's just too hard to see where this is going to where this is going to end up. Yet, um, I'm hoping that things quieten down and things go back to as close to normal as possible. But we we haven't seen any impacts on what we're doing yet. You know, we're we're in the preparation of the EIA for filing in Q1 of next year. Our environmental consultants in Chile are, are telling us that. All is okay. I mean, there's no delays that they can foresee as, as of yet. Uh, we're also in um, collaborative discussions with our um, communities that are affected by our project, even though we don't have anybody living near our project. I mean, we're talking about a desert, a desert climate in that area. But there is a small group of Indigenous people that we have to deal with, and that's pretty straightforward, and we've had good dialogue with those people over the last 12 months since we've um, been owners of the project 
while we've been advancing things. So we don't see anything at our project level that uh, worries us at this stage. Right. You know, you don't have those those issues per se. Uh, at least from recent experience, uh, you didn't have interruptions in places like Nicaragua and the mining sector. Things continued to operate there. Um, I think think to some degree the mining sector generally is still going to rule, and the government's priority, of course, is to keep those revenues rolling in as well. So I think that to some degree the mining side of things will probably be pretty well off uh, until, of course, things really break down. But uh, that's just my yeah. My, my mining is a big part of it. I mean, to fund some of these things, like not raising the price of uh, public transport tickets by potentially raising the minimum wage, et cetera. Somebody's got to pay for it, right? At the end of the day, yeah. something, and, and that's going to have to be the mining industry. And as we know right now, 10% of, um, it's like an NSR, 10% NSR of Cadelco goes to the military in, in Chile. Now, there could be an argument there, well, you know, why have a military when you don't really have, you know, wars down here between countries? So maybe uh, that 10% will go a long way to, dealing with some of these social issues that um, that the, the government's going to have to deal with. So, so no, mining is going to be a critical uh, component of, of everything going forward in Chile, that's for sure. It's interesting, Alex. You have a little bit of a prevailing thought process that, that life should be fair and everybody should be equal, but in fact, uh, it's impossible to ever have complete no. fairness and complete equality. I mean, crap, you know, you're taller than me. Uh, you've got, you know... I've got brown eyes, you've got this color of eyes, you've got this color of hair. <laughs> I'm fat, you're skinny. <laughs> I mean, there's just, you can't get there. And so <laughs> you just gotta accept no. it, do your best and move on. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, when you've got a country of 18 million people, it's easy to do, it's easier to do these sorts of things as opposed to doing it in a country like the US of 300, 350 million people, right? You got more chance of causing mayhem in a less populated country as Chile is than, than you have anywhere else. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, disparities will always be there in every in every country, in every economy. Um, it's just how you deal with it and how you try and share the, the cake around as much as much as you can. Certainly, it's all about presentation and how you package and handle it, no doubt. Um, well, let's move on a little bit here. Thoughts on market sentiment for the juniors, uh, capital availability, and of course, the gold price. Well, gold price, good point. The gold price um, is now $200 more than it was six months ago. It's around $1,450. Six months ago, is around $1,250. So I'd say, you know, we all got to be very happy about that. I think you started to see that in the producer uh, quarterlies that came out just recently for, for Q3, that you know the, the change in gold price has positively impacted producers. There have been some that haven't performed that well. So you know they've obviously got some other fundamental issues. So I'm, I'm happy, you know, um, I'm hoping we see a base formed, you know, we've seen a, a base sort of around the 1450 to 1500 level for the last six months, I hope we see that continue. If that continues, then then we're all in a good spot. Rio 2, from our perspective, uh, we did all our numbers for our recently released uh, pre-feasibility study at 1250 Gold. Well, the, the economics were done at 1300, but the um, the peat optimization was done at uh, 1250, 1225. And so we've got a project that works at the previous average of the gold price before this price rise. So anything above 1250 for us is just uh, icing on the cake. And so it should be for most companies. Uh, we're a developer, as you know, we put out the PFS. We've got a very clear view of how we advance the project. We've simplified the water component of the project by trucking water to the project in the initial stages, which takes water entirely out of the EIA and out of the permitting, which is great, simplifies everything. And so therefore, right now, our timeline to construction is two years to Q4 2021. That's two years from now. So that's going to go quick. We're going to be building a mine in, in late 2021, early 2022. We're going to be producing gold in 2022. Very simple, very easy. Unfortunately, the market absolutely does not get it. You know, our share price as of today is 33 cents. So you know, we did our last financing at 40 cents. We've been as high as 70 cents in the last in the last few months. But that's the market. You know, I, I can't control that. 
Uh, we've been marketing pretty solidly. Uh, we went to uh, Denver and also to Beaver Creek, marketed there. We just did some marketing in, in uh, New York just about a month ago or a few weeks ago. That was really good. And, uh, you know, we've been getting out there uh, telling the story, but, you know, everybody's looking for the quick fix. Everybody's looking at high grade deposits. You know, when somebody puts out a drill result of, you know, two meters at uh, two ounces, uh, you know, the, the, the retail end of the market goes crazy uh, and a drill hole doesn't make an ore body, doesn't make a mine, as we all know. But unfortunately, the market doesn't understand that. Here we are sitting with five million ounces of gold in the M&I category and 1.4 million ounces of gold in the, in the inferred category, all constrained within a $1,500 pit shell, which is not far off where the gold price has been lately. We've got one of the biggest gold deposits in the world and we're building it. In two years, we'll be building it. So I don't know, maybe um, people are just looking for excuses not to buy buy stocks. I've I got no idea, but uh, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to profess I know where the gold price is going to go. Once again, if it stays where it is, I'm happy. If it goes higher, I'm happy. If it goes lower, I'm happy because once again, our, our project's bulletproof all the way down to 1250 gold. Um, my share price, well, I don't fix my share price. That's the market. That's the people out there that are listening to this uh, to this show. So uh, they'll determine what they think we're worth. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you uh, just one more question, Alex, and then let's get into some more details on Rio too. So as you know, and you, you alluded to it when we talked about the gold price and the Q3 earnings reports coming in, some companies are starting to look nice while others are continuing to, to be fat and, and really hacking their way through this. So as you know, there's a lot of troubled companies in this sector and there are just some downright frauds. What are your thoughts on how the sector can improve and how should investors approach the preliminary process of sorting out the bad ones that appear to look good? Yeah, it's tough for the investors because there's a lot of schmoozing going on out there. You know, there's a lot of guys that are showing enough that they need to show that teases everybody. And um, it's tough. It's tough for the investors. I mean, I'm on Twitter all the time. Uh, a lot of people ask me questions there. I don't talk about, in, in my Twitter account, I don't talk about Rio 2. I'll just talk about the business itself. Some people reach out to me and ask me about certain things. You know, it's tough. It's tough for, for, for the small investor to, to work out what's good and, and what's not. And I'm not going to talk about names uh, of companies uh, on this call. But, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some pretty bad companies out there. There's very badly managed companies out there. Um, Joe Foster, who runs, uh, who's a portfolio manager at Van Eck, he recently put out a uh, piece, and they've got like a blog on their on their website, so people can find it. They can also go to my Twitter, and I'll see a link to it. He put out a good piece, and he was talking. And as you know, Van Eck has invested in every producer out there, gold producer out there, and also some of the some of the developers. His view is we need to see consolidation. There can't be as many companies in this space as, as there is right now. And if you, let's take it Nevada, for example. Nevada is just covered by junior explorers, developers. Can't go on like that. They all got to, you know, they got to start getting together. You know, there's, there's got to be, you know, companies made with two or three or four projects, you know, focused in a region or in a, uh, an area or country rather than having just half a dozen juniors all next door to each other doing stuff. So consolidation is really where it's got to happen. When you consolidate, then you can hopefully pick and pick the best out of the management that are running those companies to stay and uh, advance the um, consolidated company. The issue there is, and we've been in the M&A space for a long time looking at lots of things, it comes down to personal issues. When I talk about personal issues, it comes down to management and management typically go, well, you know, what's in it for me? What am I going to do in the next thing? Well, you know, if this doesn't involve me, there's no deal, blah, blah, blah. So there are managers who have very, in, in most cases, very little skin in the game, trying to make decisions that are not the best for their shareholders. And let me tell you, that goes on a lot in this business. There's entrenched management, guys hanging on, don't want to let go, don't want to see consolidation happen, don't want to lose the control don't want to lose the paycheck that they're getting every every uh, every month because they you know they raise a few million dollars every 12 months and they they afford to pay themselves. I mean that's the problem with the business that we're facing. 
hundred percent agree. And there's just it's there's no there's no easy answer to the question. And uh, you really have to sit down, dig deep, take your time, don't buy anything, watch the market. And it really, I've learned that that in patience in this market also helps to eliminate the clowns that eventually expose themselves. So yeah. you just need to be patient and watch watch what happens and and just get extremely familiar with with management teams and and, and uh, the market. Yeah, and, and and also you know social media is good. I mean Twitter's good because there are some pretty experienced guys out on Twitter, and hopefully I'm one of them that people can reach out to, right? And and ask questions privately, not necessarily in the public domain, because there is there is a, a private mechanism in Twitter where you can say. I'm, you know, I'm looking at investing here. I'm looking at doing this. What do you think of this team? What do you think of that team? And, and in most cases, you know, if you talk to the right guys, um, they will give it to you in black and white, right? And give you the pros and cons of getting involved in company X, Y, or Z. So that's one way people can improve their knowledge base is by trying to access people that have been in the business for 30, 40 years and ask them questions. Well, let's move on to Rio too, Alex. Let's, let's get into some details. Yep. Um, can you share with us where we are as far as major shareholder ownership at this point? Shares outstanding post the financing from August of this year. Um, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just about to brush myself up on those numbers. Yeah, just just hang on. So, so yeah, we, we did a financing back in July, August. That was led by Cormac. It was a 25 million. It ended up being a 25 million dollar bought deal. It started off smaller. Eric Sprott came in, into it. Uh, Eric now owns about 14% of our company on an undiluted basis and about 19% on a fully diluted basis. Right now we have about 180 million shares out and then on a fully diluted basis we have about 240 million shares out. So a lot of those shares went out in the last financing which we did at uh, 40 cents with a half warrant at 50 cents. That was a three year warrant. Um, so we've got about, uh, we got two and three year warrants out there totaling about 20 million Canadian. So, you know, there, there's, you know, we're, we're pretty well set until we get just near on construction. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're basically fully financed into 2021 at least in early 2021. Uh, we're starting to think about what our uh, needs will be pre-construction you know expenditures etc so we're working on that right now but that's generally the structure uh, apart from Eric Sprott uh, we've got some instos Van Eck is there um, they have um, a few million shares in in uh, a few of their active funds obviously their, their passive fund which is the ETF doesn't doesn't invest in companies like us but they've been there since the Atacama Pacific days and then there's a smattering of other institutional investors, but uh, not a huge group of institutional investors at this stage. I know a lot of institutional investors that backed us at Rio, Rio Alto and also at Tahoe. Uh, I've talk, spoken to those people lately. Unfortunately, they don't invest in development stories at this stage because of what changed in the gold market. They can only invest in gold producers or imminent producers. Uh, we're not imminent, but we're still two years away. But those instos will eventually come into our stock as we get closer to, to the construction stage. And where are you at in terms of shares owned, uh, Alex? Uh, and at what price are you? do you own those shares? Did you participate in the latest uh, round? Myself? Oh, no. Okay, so I've got about 15 million shares out of the 180 million that's, uh, that's out at the moment. Unfortunately, no. None of management could participate in that financing. And the reason was that we were knowledgeable of the PFS. We were working on the PFS and this financing came to us before the PFS came out. So we were in lockup, which really pissed us off actually, because uh, we, were, we were ready to participate in the financing. So no, none of us put any money into that last financing. But I can tell you what, with the share price the way it is, I might put some more money into the market now because um, you know we're at 33 cents, which is below the last financing. So that might be a great opportunity for me to get back into the stock. But yeah, I mean, look, um, management, own currently on the 180 million share structure uh, about 19 percent of the company that's me and and, and others um, albert schneider the ex-ceo of or ex-chairman of um, atacama pacific we merged with back uh, in 2018 he has a chunk of shares as well so 
we're all motivated like every other shareholder, I'm not doing this for a salary. I'm, I'm here to create value. And we're not doing a good job of that right now as our share price is going backwards. But that's not because we're doing anything wrong. That's why I sort of have a smile on my face and I'm sort of chuckling. Uh, we're funded. Uh, we're not looking for money now. So it doesn't matter what our share price is today. And we're not doing anything wrong. In fact, we're doing some great things on the project right now. Uh, as we alluded to when we put out the PFS, optimization of OPEX and CAPEX, we're doing that now. And there's some really, really good things coming out of it. So I'm happy. I'm happy. But unfortunately, the market, you know, getting, who, who knows what it is? Is it tax loss selling? Is it just people throwing in the towel because they've been in stocks for too long? That's the other thing, you know, people looking for quick fixes. This is, this is you know, our story is a development story, which is going to be in construction in two years and going to be producing gold shortly thereafter for probably our current PFS shows a 16 year mine life. You know, I think the project will be able to be expanded and it will probably go for obviously somewhere between 10 and 20 years. Now, that's what you're buying into. So this is a long-term investment. Unfortunately, not too many people like long-term investments. They want to be in and out. They want to make their 10, 15, 20% and, and, and move on. That's not this story. Rio 2 is not that story. And, um, and, and that's the unfortunate thing is, is I don't think people understand that. Is it safe to say at this level that management generally, the cost base for management is, is above where the shares trade at now? And does it make sense to, to start looking uh, at some market no, bids? No, I, I think it's still a little, a little lower than where it is now. I mean, I, I've put in about $3 million of my own money. Uh, that's Canadian dollars, $3 million Canadian dollars. I've bought my shares at a cost base a little bit less than where it is now. So I've got to be fair. I mean, I'm transparent. I'm not going to lie. So, you know, but that, that doesn't satisfy me. Um, at the end of the day, I think we should be better valued than we are. And the closer we get to construction, we'll get there. We've just got to be patient and we've got to be disciplined. We've got to execute and deliver as we say, not watch a share price. And the share price will eventually follow. It's happened before, you know, so it'll happen again. You guys were working on the PFS. So can you share with us did Eric and the folks approach you about this financing or was this something you guys sought? No, as you know, Eric Sprott's been out there investing in a lot of juniors. Uh, we got an inbound from him probably about six weeks before we did the financing. Uh, we did a presentation to him, you know, told him the story. Uh, and obviously this was before the PFS numbers came out. Uh, I had known Eric from meeting him in the past uh, because of Rio Alto. So he knew who I was. Once again, it was six weeks before the finance. We thought we lost him because he was making all these investments in other companies and, and he wasn't knocking on our door. And then obviously we started uh, talking to uh, a, a few bankers out there saying, yeah, you know, we're getting close to needing some more money. And, and Cormac just obviously has a relationship with Eric. And they said, just give us, just give us a moment. We're going to come back to you. And then they came back to us with a bought deal. I mean, we, we were looking at possibly just doing $5 million or something like that just to keep the wheels turning. And um, and they came back with a $17 million bought deal and that grew to $25 million. And, and Eric was the principal buyer. So that's how it happened. Um, listen, he's single-handedly saving a lot of companies out there because there is no money. People can go and raise 2 or $3 million by passing the hat around, but it's tough. But to get 20 to 25 million bucks, it's, it's impossible, right? For a pro, for a company at our stage. So he's he's helped a lot of companies. He's single-handedly picked companies, and and obviously he's he's banking on a few of them coming up trumps, and he's going to make a lot of money in the future. No, it's like passing out the offering plate in the in the in the afternoon after potluck, and <laughs> nobody nobody has any more money. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, that's good stuff. Well, I want to let's move on. Let's let's talk about run us through the major features of the PFS, the new one, and then tell us why this works better over the old one. As we said to everybody, you know, there were four things that um, we wanted to to achieve um, a, as a result of doing the updated PFS. And we elaborate on those four objectives in our corporate presentation, those four things were smaller starter project, higher grades to start with, a lower strip ratio and lower capex. 
we achieved a smaller project. The original project was about 300 million tonnes of material going to a pad. We have 115, so about a third. Higher grades, the grades before were 0.4. We've got average grade of our 16-year project of 0.49, so that's about a 20% increase in grade, although the high-grade component is about 0.57, so closer to 0.6, which is really good. So we've achieved the higher grades. The lower strip ratio, the previous strip ratio is 1.76 to 1, which wasn't huge, but you know it was um, a number. And we got it down to 0.81 in our, in our uh, updated PFS. And the lower capex, well, you know, we had a $400 million capex in the previous uh, PFS, and we've come up with something uh, around $110 million. We've done everything we said we would do, um, which is what I want to just elaborate to people. You've got to back management teams that do as they promise, execute and deliver as they promise. I mean, if I can give anybody any advice, and I'm not talking about us, I mean, I am talking about us in, in part, but in general. Look at what people say and what they do. And as long as everything that they say they deliver, then that's a good team to back going forward because that's what you want to see. You want to see delivery of what they're talking about. So um, they, were the, they were the key things. And then the other smart thing that we came up with was truck the water from Copiapo, from our offtake at Copiapo, which is with Aguas Chenyar, the water retreatment facility and truck it up to the project 140 kilometers. Why did we do that? Because it speeds everything up. It gets us to production. Is it the ultimate solution? Are we going to be doing that for the next 16 years? No. We will find other solutions of, of, of water provision for our project, but we will be in production while those solutions come on stream. So whether we bring up a pipe, whether we find water closer, whatever the situation is, and let me tell you, there are several options on the table right now. We've taken the water component out of the initial EIA, which means we've got a very quick process to construction. And then after that point, we'll dovetail whatever other solutions by modifying our EIA. It's much easier to modify an EIA, EIA than coming up with a new, you know, a brand new one. So that's what we intend to do. It's, it's a very simple solution. And that Marikunga region that we're in is very complex. Very complex because most of the projects there have very complex metallurgy. Leach cap, transition zone, sulfides. We have none of that. We have oxides. We're located near a main road. We're 18 kilometres from a main road. We're not in the middle of nowhere. 100% gold oxide heap leach for the life of the project. Very simple. We've done, we've built and managed two of those mines before in the past in Peru, La Reina and Showindo. So, you know, and the capex is only around 100 million bucks. I mean, that's fantastic. And that's why I like gold mining, because you can, with simple projects, get the capex right down to a manageable level. People just got to focus on all the simplicity that we've built into this project or comes with this project because of mother nature and, and its you know logistical location that make this a simple project in a very complex region when we do bring this project into production it'll be the only gold oxide heap leach project operating in chile i mean that blows my mind away Chile is a mining country, but we will have the only gold oxide heat leach project in operation in Chile in 2022. There are no others. So that's what we bring here. Well, Alex, that sounds good. And just uh, give me some info here on power because it's one thing. Uh, forgive me, I haven't looked into the detail on what you guys are going with power. Okay, yeah. So what we built diesel, into our, yeah, what we built into our, our PFS, so in that $100 million capex or $110 million capex, we've allowed for gensets, right? That's exactly what we did at La Arena and Show Window. We, we started both those mines with gensets and then we tied into the grid after we got going. We intend to do the same thing here. The grid's only 18 kilometers away from our project and we will tie into that later on, maybe in year one or two of, of, of production. Why are we doing it then and not up front? Because we just gain a lot of time. If we build in a, a, a spur line from this project to the grid, we have to include that in the EIA. It's more complexity. 
you know, it's better done as a modification. So we're going to do it afterwards. But and the gen sets that we put in place at the beginning become backup power for the future. So that's the that's what we're looking at from a power perspective. Is it diesel or natural gas? No, it's diesel. No, that sounds um, good. It doesn't make any sense uh, throwing up solar panels and wind turbines. Uh, I don't think make much sense. Well, one, one, one of the things we will be looking at, we will be looking at a, a alternative energy solutions. I mean, you know, we're, we're, this is you know, 21st century. Here we are. We've all got to think about alternative uh, solutions to power renewable energy, etc. So we will be looking at all that. I mean, one of the things that really interests me is by the time you know, we're going to be running this first mining phase of Phoenix with 40 ton trucks, so small trucks. Um, why? Because we've, we've, we're only producing at the rate of 20,000 tonnes a day. But when we upgrade this project or expand this project in the future, which I think is imminently doable, we'll start to bring in big trucks. That's what I want to look at, electric trucks. And we're talking about you know, five years or so away. So, you know, right. Electric trucks and obviously, you know, the technology is there now, but it will be much better in five years' time. And the other thing is autonomous, right? Autonomous trucks, because you know we're we're at four and a half thousand meters above sea level, which is doable. There's plenty of mines at those those sort of altitudes, but just to make it even safer and easier, autonomous trucks, electric trucks, we'll be looking at all that. And uh, we certainly like to be you know, at the forefront of ideas and technology, and um, we'll be looking at that sort of stuff. Certainly. No, that sounds good. And, and you can't you can't go wrong with the trusty backup uh, diesels. Uh, certainly no. are, are good here. And, and the goal is, is to make money first and then get maybe perhaps, uh, for lack of better words, a little more sophisticated later when the capital's there. Um, now, I think one of the questions, and I, this probably isn't just coming just from me, Alex, but, and I know you guys have thought this out, but I want to get your thoughts on, on your certainty level. Regarding the new PFS, how certain are you that this new production profile is self-sustaining capital-wise for any debt financing, G&A costs, future expansion, CapEx, and project pipeline expansion that I know you, you've been looking at? How does this fit in? I mean, are you on the edge of the cutting knife here as far as return yeah. uh, and being able to use that capital? Yeah. What's the certainty level there? You know, our, our, our rate of return is pretty good. It's about 27%, and this is at 1300 gold. Uh, once again, are we going back to $1,300, $1,200 gold? If we do, then this project will stay as it is, as you see in the PFS. It won't expand. It, it just won't be economically viable to do so. But when you look at our all-in costs, we're, we're just under $1,000 an ounce. We're pretty well bulletproof down to about $1,100 an ounce. I mean, the gold price goes down to $1,100. We're probably at break even at the moment. Obviously, the way we hit the ball out of the park with Rio Alto and La Reina was the gold price went up, right? We started that project when the gold price was, at, I think, about $1,000 and it went up to, to nearly $1,800, $1,900 at some point. I mean, it did, it did uh, oscillate and, and come back down. but um, yeah, I mean, this this project becomes self-funding once it gets into production. I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I don't know what the gold price is going to be in three or four years' time once we're in the you know steady-state production here. But if it is plus fourteen fifty, then yeah, we're going to be generating lots of cash. We can just reinvest that cash in expanding this project, and it'll be a, a much different project. I think ultimately we'll get to the to the same sort of parameters. As what was in the 2014 PFS, which is what was 80,000 tons a day throughput, and gold production of somewhere around 230,000 ounces a year for more than 10 years. So I think that's where we're headed. Um, but you know, it all depends on gold price. But cost-wise, we're doing some really good things from the point of view of, of shaving money off our opex. Our objective is to get the ASIC into the 800s. We're we're right under a thousand right now and there are some things that we'll be announcing shortly that I'll, I think people will be able to see that we're, we're getting very very close to pushing that uh, ASIC down into the 800s. You know we're not sitting on our hands but this project will generate good cash flow once it's in production and it will set us up for uh, further expansion once that happens and hopefully with a, a, gold, a gold environment similar to what we have today. Yeah, I was just curious as, you know, 85,000 uh, ounces a year, 
versus a little bit more breathing room if 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 it was cost effective to look at maybe a little higher rate there 95 or 100 oh, and see if that yeah, would we'll provide be, any breathing and, room and that's the thing you know when you see when you look at something that's on paper that's one thing when you get out and start digging the hole and you start loading up pads with mineral and stuff like that i mean things move around yeah, and that, that's when you start to push yourself and yeah i mean I, i'd expect ourselves to do better than what we're showing here but you know, we've got to show a number. And once again, I'm of the belief under promise and over deliver. You know, yes. this, this is a pretty conservative view of what we think we're going to build at Phoenix and it works and it gives a great return. So can we do better? Yep. Sure can, but probably not going to see that until we bring this thing into production. Talking about it today is pointless, I think. Um, it's, it's really get it into production that's why we've been keen to overcome this water challenge, take it out of the EIA, truck it up there and just get this thing into production. And then we start to show what this thing can do. If that is indeed the goal, if this PFS actually laid out a conservative approach, then I, then I think that's absolutely fantastic because that's not what typically happens in this sector. So that's a good thing. On that topic, because this is part of it, what is the financing package going to look like? Because obviously, if, if there's a lot of debt involved, there's there's going to be payments and all this crap. How, how are you going to structure it? I mean, I know you got some options as far as, you know, debt, offtake and, and uh, equity. How do you think that might look, Alex? Can you share just a little bit of perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a little too early to call. Um, we'll be going to all the, the typical resource lenders that are out there. Uh, probably early in the new year, we'll start talking to them. We, we're just finishing engineering for the EIA now. The EIA is going to be filed in, in Q1. So Q1 will be the time we start talking to the, to the lenders. And uh, we'll be looking at what they can do here. Now, this project doesn't have a royalty on it right now, um, doesn't you know, is pretty clean from that perspective. Uh, we have no debt, you know, can we leverage this thing up? I, I think so. You know, I think, you know, depending on the view of the lender, the gold price, this can take some leverage. What sort of equity are we gonna need? I'm not sure, I, I, I don't know right now. Um, yeah, I mean, you can bet we'll be looking for the best possible deal that we can get, but um, let's just see. Right. That'll certainly play into how things go as far as, you know, the production rates and revenues and so forth and where that capital gets allocated when you guys are running free and clear. Well, how about exploration work on some of the uh, some of the assets, Alex? Is, no, is I mean, we don't, well, well, we've got an exploration strategy here in Peru. We've got properties that we've uh, optioned from Nexa. That's a brain advanced and hopefully we'll be drilling one of those uh, next year. So we'll talk more about that once we get closer. Once again, I don't want to talk about things before we get closer to it. Exploration at Phoenix, we don't need to do any. I mean, we've already got 5 million ounces in M&I, 1.4 in inferred. Could we move the 1.4 in inferred into M&I? Sure, but what's the point? You know, we're going to be right. spending all that money on drilling, doing what, you know, what for? So really, we're all about putting our money in the ground and building this project. You know, we may do some other small exploration things either here in Peru or, you know, wherever we think, but nothing that's going to chew up a lot of money at this stage. Right. And that makes sense. I think where you guys are, the, really the 100% focus is really getting on going in on we're Phoenix. We're not an exploration story. Yeah, yeah we're right. not an exploration story. We're not, we're not one of these stories where, you know, we're going to keep drilling and we're going to show this. I mean, we're already starting with such a huge resource base. Um, people got to understand that, you know. I don't right. think pennies might drop there, but anyway, um, it'll eventually will. Right. And once you're cash flowing, then you can start looking at pipeline expansion and, and obviously extending the mine life and all that good stuff once you have money to do so. Well, I'm, I always go back to La Arena because that's our last uh, success. You know, we, we, you know, when we built La Arena, we did no exploration. We just built the mine, right? And we started with a resource base of 800 or just 900,000 ounces or reserve base of 900,000 ounces. That was it. And it's grown. I think La Arena, when it's all said and done, will be nearly somewhere two and a half to three million ounces of gold sitting on the pad. So did we know that when we started? No. Did we drill it? No, we could have. If we were any other junior, we probably would have drilled it, but we would never have come into production when we did. We would never have been able to ride the gold price like we did. So it would have been a completely different story. So I think we did the right thing and just put our heads down and spent all our money in taking that project to production, which is exactly the same thing that we're doing here with Phoenix. Right. And the market seems to be aligning in that direction as well, where it's unlikely that we will see 
1250 gold anytime soon um, from my understanding of how this is probably going to work out so the US debt just went over 23 trillion the other day so um, <laughs> I don't see that going negative I think we'll see the gold price going negative once we see that debt going getting paid down but um, I don't think that's going to happen in your t lifetime or my lifetime so um, gold's going to do some interesting things I think in, in the years to come Yep, and the Romans didn't pay down their debt, so uh, I don't think any of that's going to happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I can't really speak intelligently about this, Alex, but about recovery and the use of cyanide for leaching, etc. <laughs> do you know anything about, and I haven't talked to them, so I, I might be asking this prematurely uh, without much knowledge, but have you looked into this enviral leach technology as a potential alternative to increased recoveries as opposed to cyanide recovery? I've got to be truthful. No, I haven't. Would we look at it? Sure. I mean, but you don't want to be serial number one, right? I mean, you want some of this technology to be more than lab tested and, and, and out there. So I, I don't know much about it. So, you know, the use of cyanide and cyanide leaching is fine as long as you manage it well. Right. right. The good thing is with this project, we have a cyanide leach. We're leaching in an environment that's a desert, desert environment where we're using, you know, industry uh, level liners on the bottom of the leach pad you know there's well, there's very little chance of big issues coming out of, of the use of cyanide the beautiful right. thing about phoenix is that we are a leach project and we don't produce tailings because that's a bigger 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 issue worldwide is is tailings deposition we don't have any right. tailings so you know mining is a difficult game and whether it's cyanide, use of cyanide or whether it's building a tailings dam or whatever I mean, there's always challenges but you, you just got to do it to the best practices available and manage it the best way you can and you should do fine you know that's what that's what it's all about don't make mistakes i want to look into this because i'm interested in it if you can truly improve recoveries and do so cost effectively that might make sense but i'm not sure if these guys uh, over there are so proud of their product that they have such an outrageous price attached to it that it doesn't make any sense so it's something i oh, want to no. look into but get it out of the lab get it out of the lab and into the real environment and make it work right. there and everybody will be doing it i'll tell you the next day so as soon as it's proven that it works right. cost effectively then then yeah everybody yeah will be yeah, and I'm curious to know if they if they charge you to when they receive samples at their lab to at least run initial trials or how that works. So I'll have to I'll have to look into it. I'll get back to you if I find something interesting. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, timeline, Alex. I know you mentioned mentioned it a little bit earlier. What's the plan as far as definitive study? Is it needed? And can you no, give us no, no definitive no 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 definitive study needed. This is a simple project. And as I said, what we're doing is we're refining costs right now. We're also refining capex and uh, doing our trade-offs in in that regard. You know that that will be relayed to the to whoever finances this project. So we're not going to have to do a, a feasibility study. EIA will be filed in Q1 of next year. We're anticipating a 12-month process. Uh, we're expecting approval in Q1 of 2021. And once again, after finalizing permitting you know, will be in construction in, in Q4 of 2021. That's the current timeline. We don't have any indication that we're not on that timeline. I mean, there's nothing that's jumped out at us that says that we're not going to make it. So we're there on that case. So it's all very clear. Okay. And the construction time frame, are we looking uh, late 2022 for, for commissioning or where are we at? Yeah, no, uh, we, we anticipate about nine months. Because uh, it's not a lot of work. I mean, really, it's just about building the plant. The plant's easy. It's an ADR plant, pipes, tanks, pumps. So we've got to lay down a concrete slab. We're going to lay down a slab big enough to to take this project up to 80,000 tonnes a day. So we'll have enough space there. The rest is civils for the leach pad. That's easy. Yeah, there's not, not a lot of work there. So it's a quick build. You know, we, we just got to make sure we've got all our ducks in a row before we get there, which we're doing. The good thing is, you know, this two-year timeline gets us to to be able to get all the ducks in a row and 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 be ready to to run as soon as the gun goes off. Absolutely. Well, Alex, uh, for potential investors who are on the sidelines with Rio Two, what would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Why should they look at Rio well, Two now? You can't be in you can't be in this company for a quick flip, right? Uh, I mean, you, you want a quick flip, you want somebody to put out drill results and, you, you know, guys up 10%, 20%. That's not us. Not us. We're in this, you have to be in this for the long term, just like I am, just like 
you know, all the founders are, etc. I mean, we're in this for the longer term. So we are going to build a mining company completely different to most of the juniors that are out there. So if you want to be in this story, you got to back us because of that, not because we're going to give you instant gratification or three-month gratification or six-month gratification. You may get that if the gold price takes off and, uh, you know, all of a sudden we just look like the best thing since sliced bread in our in our universe. But, you know, um, that'll happen to all the gold companies. But, you know, you can't, you know, and I've got to be completely honest with people, this, you know, this is not, you know, like some of the guys that are out there that are pumping out drill holes, you know, two metres at 20, 20 grams, two metres at 60 grams. And everybody goes, wow, look at all that. That's fine. And some of those companies' share prices go up, you know, pretty nicely on the back of it. But they, most of them will never be mines, right? I can tell you that from my experience. Most of them will never be mines and most of them will never turn out to be what everybody's expectations are. So, but you get the gratification and a quick gratification. Rio 2 is not going to give you that. So you have to be patient when you're investing in this company. Very well. I would just say to the listeners, if you want a quick flip, you can go right over to McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, okay, uh, well, you know, I, you know we're, we're doing, the good thing is everybody should know, we're doing our, our level best. I'm happy with our progress. My technical team's happy with our progress. We're on track to do as we've been telling in all our marketing and our, our press releases, what we're going to do. We're on track. So if I'm happy, then everybody else should be happy. That's what I say. Well, that sounds good, Alex. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to update us uh, on Rio 2 and uh, certainly in an interesting position here uh, that, that we are in favor of and uh, looking forward to having you back to talk more about it soon. Yeah, I think I think in, you know, in the next 12 months, we'll have achieved a few things and it'll be good to, to, to update that. Chile will have settled down, so it'll be good to talk about that again. And who knows what else we might be doing in, in the consolidation aspect of the business um, where we we want to be a player in that consolidation. So things may happen also in the next uh, six to 12 months in that regard. Well, Alex, appreciate you coming on. Yep. Thanks for your time.